Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, yes, we can see there's been defaults, maybe a, a drop in current account turnover. And you can see those trends once they've happened, but it doesn't help you to help the customer at the point they require that help. We have individuals who are applying for high-cost short-term loans to pay their utility bills. And that is a very real, very current insight into a consumer, which may lead a lender to make a decision on how they are going to engage and, and interact with that customer. So what we've tried to do is enable people to get right down to that granular detail, but also from a high level, you can align your vulnerability strategy with the high-level definitions of vulnerability that the FCA have set out and split your customer base down into those that are highly vulnerable, currently vulnerable, or maybe historically vulnerable. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. I've been working in consumer lending for 20 years. And when I started out, the data modeling techniques we had, they liked data quantity, but they needed data quality. So while we would have appreciated the theoretical value of alternative data sources, if the data didn't come in neatly packaged monthly drops stamped with a name we trusted and perfectly aligned with the history we already had, we just couldn't use it. Oh, how times have changed. Now it seems like all data is fair game and nuance and timeliness are king. Join me and Simon Gregory of Data on Demand as we chat about how alternative data can complement traditional data to build better customer experiences at all points of the credit life cycle. Simon Gregory, welcome to the show. Before I realized how much time these podcasts take, I also had a short-run show on cycling. And I'll be honest, I might have expected my first interview with a trained sports scientist to have been on that one. But here you are today. So before we talk about data on demand, where you're a sales director, let's have a quick look at your background. Yeah, no problem. Nice to be on the podcast, Brendan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you probably can't tell from my current shape. There's a little bit of, of lockdown weight still still sitting around, which I think I can get away with still referring to it as lockdown weight at the moment, but maybe not for too much longer. I've always kind of had a love of sport through school and through secondary school, always playing cricket, football, etc. And it's, it's always been a big interest of mine. So yeah, when it came to deciding what to do at university, that was fairly high up on the agenda. So yeah, I went, went to Liverpool to study that. And as we all know, the next logical step from studying sports science is to go into data sales. So I ended up after university working for a graduate recruitment company in Manchester. One of the people we were hiring for was a business called Bureau Van Dyke. So Bureau Van Dyke, which are now part of Moody's, I think, a bigger bigger business data provider. They were one of our clients. Eventually, I ended up working for them. And that was kind of my first introduction to data. And from that, obviously, ended up most recently going through seven years with Core Credit and eventually TransUnion. 
which was great time to be involved with the business, really enjoyable. You were there, you were working in a, in a job that was with a relatively big company, but then you decided about 18 months ago to move to Data On Demand, a much newer, smaller company. What inspired that move? I think the first thing to say is that I, was, I had a great time with, with Call Credit and then again with TransUnion after the acquisition. So I was lucky enough to be part of a team that was involved in part of that growth of Call Credit into the business that TransUnion then acquired. And I was very happy, I had a great team, great management structure above me as well. But I got a LinkedIn message actually from a gentleman called Mark Davison. And Mark Davison was one of the original exec with Call Credit, and he stood as chief data officer with that business right the way through various different transactions and growth up to the point that the TransUnion actually acquired the business. I didn't work with Mark that often while we were both at Call Credit. We knew each other. We had some engagement on different projects, but effectively got this LinkedIn message a little bit out of the blue in, in March 2020. So just because of Mark's kind of pedigree, it made me take notice. He kind of said, look, I've, I've just invested in a small data startup, also in Leeds. We're looking for somebody to come on and kind of scale out the, the business, help us grow, help us set up a sales function. Is that something that you'd be interested in having a chat about? Agreed to have a, a conversation. Sounded interesting. I, I met with Stuart, who's their CEO or our CEO now, should I say. And I think the backing of Mark, his experience, the small team they had at the time, four people at that point, seemed to have a really good structure of a kind of a data product and a good offering. But I thought, yeah, this is this is something that could be interesting. And about a week after that, the world shut down, pandemic arrived. To cut a long story short, we all agreed that it probably wasn't the best time immediately to be making any life-changing decisions. But I carried on talking to the guys over the first few months of lockdown. And by the end of that point, towards the end of the, the year in 2020, I'd got to the point where I was happy that what they had was a great opportunity and something I was going to go and pursue. But I think really it was knowing that there was a good team already in place, a good good potential for a product set in place with data on demand. And also knowing it would be a great opportunity for me to take what I'd learned over the past seven years with we'll call credit, watching that business grow and evolve and actually help a startup and grow something in partly in my own vision. So that's worlds apart, definitely, don't get me wrong. And, and every day has got different challenges, but uh, certainly not a, a decision I, uh, I regret. And you mentioned there that data on demand is in Leeds as well. Leeds is a city that I grew to love while living there. But you hear about London and you hear about London and you hear about London. But actually, there's quite a thriving tech scene, fintech scene up in the north. What is it like working in the north of England, sort of away from that London that maybe everybody's thinking of, and still working in the cutting edge of tech and banking? Yeah, as you said, I am a northern lad, depending on who I've been talking to and where I've been for the weekend, that can be more or less northern. So we'll see what the uh, the feedback's like from any of the, the listeners. But yeah, the data on demand business is based in Leeds. We've got our head office there. The north does have a a very vibrant fintech scene and a very vibrant scene, I think, for emerging businesses in general, particularly for financial services. A lot of the lenders and institutes themselves may have bases in London, but a lot of the businesses that actually service those, you know, those institutions are based all over, all over the country. And there's a lot of those, particularly when you think about the kind of, well, data providers as an example of that, but also platforms that service financial services businesses. There's a lot of those dotted in around the North as well. 
definitely not a, a requirement for a, a fintech business to, to be based in London, particularly in, in the digital age that we're in now. So we've all seen it across the pandemic. It's much easier for people to work from home, be flexible than perhaps some institutions expected it would be. And that's helped a lot of businesses to establish talent pools that they maybe didn't have before, based in Nottingham, in Leeds, even up into the, the Lake District, as an example. And just on the talent itself, because of the businesses located around the region, there's a lot of talent in the region. And there's also a lot of new talent coming out of the universities to help those businesses grow and attract new people. We've seen that ourselves. You know, we've, we've hired two new graduates recently, both from Northern universities and, and they've gone on to exceed expectations for us. Maybe one day there'll be that high-speed rail link, but we probably shouldn't go too far down that path. Let's start talking a little bit more about data on demand. We both work together in a traditional credit bureau. And in the UK, traditional credit bureaus already have, a, relatively speaking, a huge amount of data. So you know, balances, payments, mispayments, all that sort of stuff, but even things like income data. And when we're talking data on demand, what sort of data and data products are we talking about? And how might it vary from that context that people have become familiar with? Yes, I think the, the big thing and one of the things that attracted me to data on demand in the first place is the fact that the focus is on alternative UK consumer data. Any financial services business and any business that services end consumers will know what the CRAs provide. You're listening to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. If you're enjoying it, now would be a great time to find and hit that little plus button to subscribe. Now, let's get back to Simon. But particularly with all the change that's going on in the world recently, if you're looking at trying making a risk decision or any other type of decision when it comes to end consumers, because of the amount of change, the same data that's always been used is not necessarily going to help you get to a strong risk decision. So what we've looked at creating at Data On Demand is an alternative view of UK consumers. You know, we're all, or certainly the majority of the exec are all ex-credit reference agency. We've all got good things to say about the CRAs. They're very necessary and they do a great job in servicing businesses. What we've tried to do is look at the areas where perhaps they're not as strong, where there's, there's niches for us to help companies that are supporting consumers. So we've looked at a, a couple of kind of different alternative data sets. One is subprime loan applications. So one of our data channels is, is applications that come through web portals through what would traditionally be known as the ping trees or aggregators. So we're taking data right at the front end of the application journey right at the point when that consumer has the need and looking at the information that they're presenting there. We're also then looking at new data sources and new people to collaborate with around vulnerability. So we've recently entered an agreement with a business called the Vulnerability Registration Service. So they provide a self-declared database of vulnerable UK consumers. And there's two other kind of online channels that we take data from as well. One is what we call lifestyle subscriptions. So that could be if we take something we've both got a bit of an interest in, a monthly cycling magazine. You may have signed up to receive that online. And we're looking at the information a consumer enters at the point of, of sign up there. And we're also taking data from competition sites. So if I go on a site online to enter my details to maybe win a car or a house or a, a bike, we're capturing those details as well. 
So right at the front end of that consumer journey and the information that's provided by the consumer at that point. And the reason we've tried to look there is a lot of the data that is available at the moment is focused on after the fact. So it's looking at performance on loans, performance on a mortgage, performance and payments on credit cards. But as most people will know, that is at the very least usually 30 days out of date. In reality, by the time it's been uploaded into the database, passed out to financial services businesses, whoever they might be, it's probably going to be 60 to 90 days out of date. And that's if they're actually asking for it. If they're not asking for it, then they may have had one view of a customer application, onboarded them, and then really not have had much view of, of how that consumer circumstances have changed. And if we think about how much the world has changed at the moment, then that is a a big factor. So we've looked at what data we can capture at the front end of the journey. We've aggregated that data. We do that every single night. We rebuild our product every night so that all the information we have is very current and available to any business who has an in relationship with a consumer. And that is working right across the, the customer lifecycle. So we're providing data to businesses for identity verification and fraud prevention. We're providing data to businesses for risk decisioning on affordability uh, and vulnerability. We're looking at that customer management angle as well. And back-end-wise, we're also looking at providing data for uh, for collections and recoveries purposes. As we know, yeah, the most recent behavior is the most informative of what's going to happen in the, the near future. But normally, that most recent data, as you said, could be it could be three months old, four months old. So I think it's interesting to hear how many different innovations are trying to bridge that um, sort of weakness in the traditional reporting value or close that gap, I suppose, because yeah, you're not looking to replace credit reference agencies. I want to come back a little bit to vulnerability, which you mentioned there. You know, lockdowns or two years of lockdowns now, very unsettled job market. Now we've also got the added expenditure of, of the cost of living crisis to, to deal with. So it's great to hear that you are looking at it and it hasn't been entirely forgotten. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How are you helping your customers with this concept of vulnerability and working with their customers when, when that's the case? It's a difficult topic, but it's a very popular topic at the moment across a number of different sectors. It's getting a lot of, of airtime, especially in financial services. Firms have seen that from the regulator, that not only is the identification and monitoring of customers in potentially vulnerable situations has been a focus of previous regulation. It's stepped up again in the consumer duty. And I think that was 
if I think back to one of the earlier questions about why I made that switch, the offering that data on demand were building around that was, was one of the reasons that I actually decided to move as well. Because what I was being asked for and what we were being asked for back at, you know, start to, to middle of the pandemic from a CRA perspective was, what data have you got to help us understand this new world that we find ourselves in? So, okay, yes, we can see there's been defaults. Okay, yes, we can see there's been a drop in current account turnover. And you can see those trends once they've happened, but it doesn't help you to make a decision and, and to help the customer at the point when they're actually, they require that help. A lot of the impact on the consumer has been masked by the support that was put in place by the government, by lenders, by regulators. You know, we had furlough, we had payment holidays, all that type of support that was put in place. And it was great to see. But once that's taken away, there's a bit of a tidal wave of, of issues, which is at some point going to come to fruition. And talking to a lot of our our customers and talk to people in the industry. I think everybody is still expecting to see the main impact of that over the coming months and years. But what nobody banked on was the fact that there was also then going to be all the different troubles and tribulations that we've got in the world now. So you've got people who were already in a difficult position through the pandemic, were then hit with the fact that the support they had may be taken away. And you then got things like the, the rise in the cost of living, there is likely to be a significant increase in the number of people who are in, in those type of situations. If I focus on financial services and what we're able to see in our data, particularly the application data from subprime high cost short-term loan applications, is those individuals who are in a position where you know, they don't have access to additional credit, they've got issues with paying their utility bills, they've got issues with, with debt. And they've nowhere else to turn apart from some of these higher interest loans. So we're seeing these large volumes of applications. If we get down to the granular detail of that, it may be as granular as being able to say, we have individuals who are applying for high cost short term loans to pay their utility bills. And that is a very real, very current insight into a consumer, which may lead a lender to make a decision on how they are going to, to engage and, and interact with that customer. If I am a prime bank, and I am looking to assess the vulnerability in, in my portfolio, the way I assess that compared to a subprime loan provider, the definitions of, of vulnerability, certainly financial vulnerability, will be very different. So what we've tried to do is within the, the product that we've created, which is our ID view offering, is enable people to get right down to that granular detail whereby they can look at the specifics of loan purposes and loan volumes and metrics and those type of things. But also from a high level, you can align your vulnerability strategy with the high level kind of definitions of vulnerability that the FCA have set out as an example uh, and, and split your customer base down into those that are highly vulnerable, currently vulnerable, or maybe historically vulnerable. Vulnerability is fluid and people can move into it and, and out of it. But hopefully what we're enabling lenders to do is not just approach vulnerability from a regulatory perspective, but also understand their consumers whose circumstances may have changed and who need help right now. There's always a risk when we look at the headline numbers, the totals, and we look at something like the jobs market has rebounded very strongly post-COVID. So in theory, we came out of furlough into a strong jobs economy, but there's all sorts of underlying sectoral changes. So some sectors are still down. And for you as an individual, it doesn't help that on average, there's more jobs if your industry isn't hiring, if your role is no longer needed. Now your income's impacted, you know, furloughs long forgotten, 
people have moved on from there. Now we've been hit with cost of living crisis, your utility bills are going up. And you can see how it would start. And you could see that somebody maybe out of the stress of the situation thinks I need to go to a high cost short term loan to pay a utility bill. When that goes through in a traditional data sense, those three months, they might be building up very expensive debt and three, four, five months down the line, they finally default and then yeah, it will ping up on the credit bureau. But they've got that four or five months of, of bad habits that, that happen that they now need to also reverse. Whereas if right at that moment you can see what's happening, you can hopefully step in and help them before that delay comes in, before all the extra costs come in. Maybe there's a way to stop the ballooning of the debt. So great to hear that there is still innovation and and data coming through in that space. Now, obviously related to vulnerability quite closely is is the collection space. And you've got a lot of experience working in collections and recoveries. So how can lenders use data? But I'm thinking in particular new data sources, some of these alternative data sources, how can lenders use that sort of data to get that balance right of trying to control their losses as they're always out to do, but also keeping a little bit of sense in the current situation their customers are on, who, many of whom are going to be struggling to afford basic necessities, many of whom might need a helping hand. There are plenty of, of very strong services and very strong data sets out there. A lot of the new services that are coming about, you know, most businesses now, if we look in financial services, are certainly well on the way to being digital if they're not already fully digital in terms of their uh, their current processes. Some of that tends to get less so when you get to the back end. So you'd be surprised at how many well-known, very established businesses uh, are yet to kind of have a, a kind of digital self-serve function for their, their back-end collections. I think that's an area where there's a lot of innovation at the moment. A lot of new businesses who are out there, not necessarily selling, you know, full difficult to to implement platforms, but quite easy kind of bolt-on services for certain parts of the journey to make it a lot easier for consumers to engage with because that stigma is nothing new. I mean, people have always been reluctant to discuss their financials in general. And when it comes to the fact of having missed payments or defaulted on loans, that becomes even more of a stigma and, and even more even more of a pressure on people not to want to discuss that. So I think what the pandemic, again, without continuing to bang on about it, what that has driven is at least firms to know that they need to provide that digital engagement channel for customers when it comes to things like talking about their debts, talking about their financial circumstances and and paying back the debts that they owe, is that they need to offer that almost anonymous way of doing things so that people aren't having to necessarily speak to somebody themselves. However, I think what we've also learned is you can't have a one-size-fits-all. So it's not about saying, okay, Everybody has to now digitally self-serve. You need agents for people to speak to. And there's a lot of interesting propositions which support with that as well. So speech analytics to understand certain triggers and certain words that are being used, which links back to the vulnerability conversation we were having before. But from our side of things, I think the main thing that we're seeing is however clever you want to be about it, however many propensity scores you want to use, however you want to segment your own kind of collections portfolio and look to engage with people, if you're not able to contact that customer, it's going to be very difficult to get a good outcome for either you or for the, for the customer themselves. So because of those front-end online application journeys that we're capturing data from, and because of the recency we're updating our full database, we already have a 
significant coverage of UK contact channel information, which we're able to help financial services firms get access to and to engage with their consumer so they actually can get that conversation started and they can try and get that resolution for them. But as I said, if they if they can't have that first conversation, the rest of the clever stuff that they can do kind of goes out the window a little bit. Yeah, and I said that you've some experience in collections and recoveries. You've actually been nominated for a few awards, haven't you, in that area? Yeah, so I think it's a bit of a case of uh, always the bridesmaid, never the bride at the moment. We're a very young business. I'm hopeful this year there'll be hopefully some wins rather than just the nominations coming through. But yeah, it's been great to be noticed and to be nominated for those type of awards. We've had you know, innovation in collections and recoveries, very close to the data and analytics solution of the year. Fingers crossed this year will be a successful one. Yeah, good luck. I don't want to typecast you in collections and recoveries and vulnerability, though you work across, as you said, the, the full credit life cycle and all sorts of different problems that a lender might come into in their day-to-day lending businesses. So what other areas of the market are you seeing traction in at the moment? Quite a lot. So I'll try and keep it fairly succinct for the sake of your listeners. But the utilities market's a a really interesting one, particularly at the moment. we, We talked about how the changes in the energy market are impacting the prices that are being passed on to the consumers. The cost of living increases are obviously very challenging for for those guys on the back of what was already a challenging environment. And what we're helping those businesses to do at the moment is to help them identify the customers within their existing customer base who need the most help. That kind of spins back to our, you know, the vulnerability offering we talked through. But Using that example I talked about before, if you think about how valuable it is to an energy business to be able to understand from their existing portfolio, which of their customers are right now applying for some form of of high interest loans specifically to pay their utility bills, that's some really key information to help them engage with those customers and hopefully give them access to the type of funds that are being put aside by those energy businesses and by the government to support those consumers. And obviously, I don't think we can get through a financial services podcast without mentioning buy now, pay later. So buy now, pay later is definitely interesting with it falling into regulation. Again, the need for data and the need to, for those guys, especially have very current and very up to date information is particularly of interest. So we've got some of those conversations going on. IDMV, so front, front end of the journey, we're starting to work with more businesses to give them access to you know, corroboration and fraud prevention in terms of the identity data we hold in the UK. Public sector, I'm, I'm sure, will come. It's a, it's not a short process to get into that sector. But again, those conversations are starting. Insurance is looking quite interesting at the moment. There's some regulation there which is prohibiting insurance businesses from offering, you know, fancy new products and, and discounts to new customers that they're not offering to existing customers. So commercially, that immediately drives them to want to understand more about their current customers. I mean, as I said before, the difficult thing for us, which is not a bad problem to have, is the insights we have are quite unique. We're proving them out as we go through the different different kind of sectors. But any company who's got that end relationship with a consumer, we can probably tell you something about your consumer that you don't already know. So Simon, lots of areas of traction there. As we've said, lots of pressures in the world that are often impacting your area of the market uh, as much as any other. So really an exciting time, but also no doubt a fairly stressful and turbulent time to 
be in the startup business. What's next for Data on Demand? What are you envisioning happening in the next sort of six months to a year for the business? Without hitting a very high word count for the vulnerability word, I think that will probably be the main focus of our conversations. As I mentioned, with the new new regulation coming in, we've got a lot of engagement on that from businesses and working with our, our partners. We make sure that offering is as fit for purpose for as many sectors as possible. So that, that'll be a key focus for us. I think as a business, 2022 is going to be all about continuing to establish our proposition and expanding some of the, the kind of core markets that we're working in. So uh, with, with lenders, but also with collections and recovery sector, as we move into 2023 onwards, that will be more about the kind of growth of our, our business. You know, one of the benefits of being a, a small business is we're able to be innovative. So I'm sure there will be new uses for our data set that we haven't quite thought of yet that will be suggested. And we're really lucky that we'll be in a position to move quickly on that. So I would expect as we move into next year, growth and, and probably some innovation will be the uh, will be the focus. But the main thing which I, I keep telling the rest of the team is, is to make sure we have fun along the way and build a well build a, a culture and a business that we can all be proud of. Yeah, that's a great motto to to have. As the world does look a little bit gloomy outside, we can have fun and uh, and build businesses that we're proud of. If anyone wants to get involved in that journey, if anybody's listening and needs help with the question of vulnerability or any of the other topics we touched on today, how could they get in contact with you or where could they go to learn more? Yeah, so by all means, I'm happy for anybody to link out through the usual channels, you know, LinkedIn, etc. No problem with that. You can reach out to us via email at uh, hello at dataondemand.co.uk, which is all one word, data on demand, or the website, which is www.dataondemand.co.uk. Great, Simon. Well, thank you very much. It's been great catching up. Wish you the best with those ambitions for the next uh, six to 12 months. Thank you, Brendan. Pleasure. And uh, yeah, again, thank you for having me on. It's been, uh, been good fun. And thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed that, please do rate and review on your preferred podcast platform and share widely, including on LinkedIn. And while you're there, send me a connection request. The show is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange in Brighton, England, and edited with assistance by Kane Hunter. Show music is by I Am Wake, and you can find full written transcripts now in several languages, show notes, and more content at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show. And I'll see you again next Thursday. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.